You got to create that atmosphere that delivers. And it's very important in virtual events to remember that it's 50% content, it's 50% catering for humans. And therefore, all of the things that you perceive as frivolous, such as having a DJ, doing meditation, having a yoga activation, having drawings, having cocktail making sessions. Honestly, we've seen like the creativity unleashed to the maximum extent. That's as important as the content. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we are joined by Julius Solaris. Julius is VP of Marketing Strategy Events at Hopin, who are an event technology platform for virtual, hybrid, and in-person events. So I think he's the perfect person to talk to about event marketing, and particularly how you can get people excited about your event. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast, Julius. Thanks for having me, Matt. Very excited to be here and hello to all of your audience. Indeed. And hello to Las Vegas from the UK. Early in the morning for you, but late here. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B events. Events are my life. I've been um, talking and planning events, more talking than planning, to be honest, about events. I come from media. I founded a website 15 years ago. My passion was the intersection of media, technology, social media, and events. So it was very early days. I was actually in the UK when I started all of that passion. And yeah, a few years later, um, talking about the intersection of tech, which was something very, very niche. You know, you don't join the event industry because you like technology or that sort of talk. You join it because you like human interaction. So it's always been a tough sell with event planners in general. But I was lucky enough to work with a lot of companies that are household names in the event industry, like Eventbrite, Cvent, and all these great companies doing technology for events. And B2B, it's kind of the range of application I've been talking about, even though like I've been discussing a lot of consumer brands as well in the events world. It's always a different way when we refer to the events industry, the meetings industry, as people like to call it. We talk about a very specific subset of events, which are convention, trade shows, conferences, where all the business of events sort of runs around and the business of destinations that promote themselves to host these events. These are events that have a strong economical impact. I live in Las Vegas. and We know that for sure that when CES comes to town, it's a big deal. That's the biggest B2B event you can think of. So it's a word of its own. I don't talk about weddings, funerals, or sporting events, but you know, I'm passionate about this. Indeed, especially with things opening up now, it must be pretty crazy for you guys. But with everything that's gone on recently then, and I don't think we want to get into that really, but why do you think running events is still such an important part of any B2B marketing strategy then? Oh my God. So first off, there's something that happened a couple of years ago, and that's the birth of a new category, and that's virtual events. You know, virtual events, they've been around for a while, nothing new in terms of webinars. We all know those, but the evolution that we've seen in the past two years is just something that I personally haven't seen before, and I've been keeping an eye on these things for a while. So the pace of development that we've seen in this category has opened up a new subset of opportunities for marketers and for event planners as well. 
at the beginning out of necessity for whatever was going on. Right now, I feel there's a lot of range of opportunity. That's why it's relevant to evaluate what this virtual event category is, the application of hybrid as well as in-person and how they're changing Mm. in the future. I feel that the biggest reason why I can give to your audience is that as we enter a cookie-less future where tracking is going to become more difficult, I know how important GDPR is in the UK and in Europe in general. We are part of this category where actually the audience feels comfortable sharing their data to enter and access the event. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they pay a ticket and they want to share their data as well. So there's a lot of interesting opportunities for marketers there, not only at entry level, registration level, but also within the platform, there's a million data points, dozens of data points that you can create to understand more your audience and to create not necessarily this on the sort of exploitation side, but like really to get them know better and create a community with them. Because that's, I guess, the future of marketing, as a lot of people are saying, we're navigating towards communities. So many communities out there. I'm part of the Dave Gerhardt marketing community. And you look what he's achieved in quite a short space of time. And it all seems to be centered around that community and events and all that kind of stuff. So it is pretty cool. So let's think about somebody starting to run an event today then. I mean, how do you think that event might be different to say what it was two years ago? I don't think we've ever had such a concept of an event as it is today. I think we have the most fluid concept we've ever had because literally everything is an event. Even like a piece of recorded video with a live chat and people interacting has become an event these days, right? When we think pre-pandemic, we had a pretty precise idea of what an in-person event was. We didn't have to make differentiation between in-person, hybrid, and virtual, right? So that tells you how much the concept of planning events is evolving and how the tool is evolving for marketers. I feel that right now you have to make a decision in terms of what's your event strategy rather than let's plan an event. I think that if you go into the mentality of let's plan an event, you're like going 150 miles towards a wall that you're going to hit. You're going to be injured in a very, very (laughs) painful way because it's really tough right now to make these type of decisions that back in the days you could do because we weren't living in the type of world that we're living in today where uncertainty is still very present. Mm. Even though we're going towards reopening and everybody seems to be more relaxed, the same kind of conversation we were having back in September, October 2021, and then we went back to square one Mm. to a certain extent. So it's very tough. It's still a very uncertain environment. Therefore, evaluate your event strategy. And my number one tip is to think about what we call hybrid event strategy meaning strategy that encompasses all the tools available right now to you, which are virtual, in-person, and it's a mix of the two, which we refer to hybrid. So when we say hybrid, we mean one event that it's happening for two audiences, one online, one offline, in most cases at the same time. Sometimes we've seen also asynchronous hybrid. So one event happening in person and then later virtual component like a week later, for example. So we've seen also that. As I said, it's moving super fast. So consider all the tools available for you to diminish the risk. That's very important right now. And use the tools that work best for your budget, for your audience, for your brand, for the message you're trying to give. Sometimes a series of virtual events that culminate into an in-person experience 
that's what a lot of people are using right now because there's an advantage in that, right? Yeah. And that feels quite natural to me because, you know, when you talk to marketeers, they always talk about creating content for the way that the person they're trying to reach wants to consume that content. And physical events has a drawback because you've got to get out of your office, you've got to get out of your home, you've got to travel. It takes a lot of time. So giving people the choice between a physical event and an online event seems like a win-win to me. Absolutely. As we enter the era of experience design, and we all like drawn to experiences, one of the most important elements of an experience is customization. We're very different people. Mm. And therefore, offering both words really offers something that fits different personality types. For example, as an introvert mm. myself, I flourished during the virtual events revolution because I could finally connect with people without the uncomfortable moment of having to introduce myself. I am Julius. <laughs> nice to meet you. Which is, a, which is something that I cringe and despise so much, you know, even though I love events and I go and speak around the world and do all of that. But I'm usually in a corner of a room. I don't want to yeah. go and introduce myself. So say, for example, like one of the modules that we have a hop in that made the platform so successful in early days is this networking shuffle model where you just click on a button and you get randomly matched to someone and you can spend up to three minutes. You can extend it if you like each other yeah. or you can move to the next one. And I spend so much time on it. Because it's like I get to meet so many incredible people without being uncomfortable because I'm still <laughs> home and with my camera, with my setup. So, you know, it's catering to me in a different way. And that's good enough. Probably some people just don't care about virtual. They just yeah. want to attend in person. It's fine, too. I feel we need to be as inclusive as possible right now. Yeah, well, I'm an introvert, too. So that sounds good to me. We're obviously here to kind of talk really about sort of drumming up excitement then for events, whether that be before, during or after an event. So what should we be doing then before an event to sort of drum up that excitement? I always think about event marketing as almost like planning a date with someone you never met. If you kind of turn up at the restaurant, you're missing out on creating that excitement that is going to make the date go better to a certain extent. It's probably not going to impact <laughs> the whole date. Sometimes it's fine to just show up, and like make it happen. And it works. In most cases, there's a lot of stuff happening on the logistics side, and that takes a lot of the effort of those working at events because like, things are going south, that speaker is not showing up, the venue canceled, <laughs> the technology is not working, there's a million problems, right? And so we forget about the attendees and the fact they're looking forward to this event, right? There's a lot of excitement because part of the community. So I feel that there's basic stuff that you can do from Handling communication with the right tone, not over-communicating, that's an issue as well. A million emails coming every time you mm -hmm. announce a new sponsor. Who cares? Nobody cares about that other than the sponsor, right? But <laughs> think about the announcements that you're going to make before an event. What really matters to your attendee? Is that an announcement of a new speaker, a secret speaker that you're announcing? Sometimes something that I've tried as part of my previous life as a media owner and editor, we planned six, seven events with 60,000 event planners. If you put it in perspective, it's almost like five times the size of the biggest show for the industry. With some of them, we used to run a pre-event session like a week before the event. First off, as coming from Hopin technology provider here, the sooner you onboard people on the platform, the better, right? Especially for virtual events. Yeah. But that's also for in-person. You want them to use the app. So 
We used to do that to get all the people on the platform, get them to familiarize with the different options to use the platform well. So they once they join, they're not lost in this new world and they can move around. And then we created the excitement with some sort of relevant session, an announced speaker. So, you know, create a little bit of surprise. Events are about novelty as well, right? There's got to be something special. Otherwise, I would just go on YouTube and watch a video. I don't need to attend an event, especially virtual. Think of how can you make it special? I can make it secret. I can make it a surprise. Cadence of communication, only the information that matters and that really creates that excitement. Yeah. And I guess also then it's the engagement too, because if you can start engaging with people who are going to attend early on, you can amplify that message as well using hashtags or whatever it might be. That, I guess, would be an important part of that too. You're totally right. We evaluate success of events by measure of engagement. So the sooner you start, the better. Perfect. What about moving on to the event itself? And I can imagine most people are kind of wiping their brow thinking, wow, we've got here, it's started, we can relax now. But you certainly can't. What should they be doing during an event? What kind of thing, tactics can they do to make sure that people are still excited? This is like such a recurring question that I get, different podcasts that participate in, but also with our clients when we talk to, because our clients come to us, yes, for a technology platform, but we feel we're becoming almost partners in the creation of events. So some sort of under the hood consultancy that it's happening there in terms of making these events more special because we've been spending a lot of time in front of screens and we want to be engaged. So I feel there's like three elements you have to keep in mind when you're planning a virtual experience, but also I must say an in-person experience, because as we like to say in our industry, there's nothing like face-to-face But face-to-face pre-pandemic wasn't this amazing, fantastic thing where every event was exceptional. I attended a lot of awful events where I just (laughs) wanted to go out. So even it's a good refresher for in-person. One, atmosphere. You got to create that atmosphere that delivers. And it's very important in virtual events to remember that it's 50% content, it's 50% catering for humans. And therefore, all of the things that you perceive as frivolous, such as having a DJ, doing meditation, having a yoga activation, having drawings, having cocktail making sessions. Honestly, we've seen like the creativity unleashed to the maximum extent. That's as important as the content. This idea that having speakers cover everything or important keynotes or whatever, it's the most important marketing assets that you're going to have for your events. It's like, why? As again, I can go YouTube and watch a video of someone speaking. I don't need to attend an event for that. Mm -hmm. So catering for humans with a good atmosphere, it's very important. The second one is creativity. We've seen that the most creative events, the ones that really change the rules of the playbook right now are doing the best. And that means also designing the events in a different way. For example, asking the audience, what do you want us to talk about before the event? We've seen co-created, crowdsourced type of schedules that get done with the audience. Or during an event, asking the audience, do you have an opinion about this? Great. Bring them on stage with the speakers to talk together in a breakout session. You know, these are like simple examples of how you can change the format. When I was planning these events virtually, we had a session called the bullet point session. So we had five to six speakers, three minutes per speakers, three points that they could make, three slides, one point per slide. There was a timer and they had to get down to business and share actionable advice in three minutes. So you can think like you have six of them in 20 minutes, you got 18 tips that you can immediately implement in your business. You know, these tricks actually work extremely well. 
So that's the creativity element. The last one, it's pace. You cannot have an hour-long keynote. After 10 minutes, people are going to disconnect. So you have to think TV style. You have to think, Mm. how can I engage the audience? Having moderators that keep the pace high, really literally move on to the next session. That's really important for in-person events as well. I went back to an in-person event in April after the lockdown, after my first big in-person event. They locked me down in a room for an hour and a half listening to a keynote. (laughs) I wanted to die. I was like, why are you doing this to me? Let me out. I don't want to stay here. It's too much. I'm burning out. I want to meet people. I want to connect with people. I can't care less about this. So the pace of the session is very important. 20 minutes, 15 minutes. I've seen 10 minutes. I've seen five minutes. So that's very important in virtual. Well, I'm getting excited just talking to you about these. (laughs) So what about after the event itself? I mean, I guess a lot of people are kind of just pleased they've got through it and it's been organized and all that kind of stuff. But obviously you want to maximize your investment because running an event is a big investment, isn't it? From money and time and all those sorts of things. So what can somebody do after the events happen then to still maximize what they can get out of it? So I've been out of the dating game for 20 years plus, but I'm going to refer back to that because, you know, once you've come out to the restaurant and you brought flowers and great music and a fantastic content, then, you know, the follow-up is as important because after the first date, you got to take it easy, right? You don't want to rush things because otherwise you can spoil it. And the number one mistake that we've seen from sponsors that participate at events, as well as organizers of events, is this incredible pressure. It's almost like, okay, we had fun at the event. Now I'm going back to my boss. He wants to see results. They want to see results. Okay, let's go for the close. Let's set up a follow-up meeting. No, I feel that we're still probably in the middle of the funnel with Mm. events, virtual and in-person. I feel you're creating a much closer connection with your audience. We're still in a funnel. we got to take it easy. Mm. And therefore, yes, if you do lead scoring, someone attending one of your events has a high lead score, but still you kind of need to move them a little bit down. And I feel that following up with content that delivers maybe another event, maybe a piece of white paper, maybe an article, a checklist, or something that it's valuable, that sets you as someone is actually trying to provide value as opposed to a close. Obviously, in some cases, you have a fantastic conversation and event and people just want a demo and they want to close, close them by all means. But there's a soft follow-up that works much better. I feel that all the events that follow up with me or exhibitors I talk to have an event that follow up with me, more resources, they have a long way to go. They do extremely well. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know what they're selling. And if you're going to be interested and want to be included in that, then you're going to raise your hand and ask for it, aren't you? So that makes total sense to me. Look, you've been involved in a lot of B2B events. If you were to give us an example of an event that you've been to recently then that's particularly impressed you then, what would it be? Why did it really impress you? I'm going to actually be biased here because I feel that the events that we do at Hopin are just something else. And, you know, it comes with a package, right? We are an events company like if our events are boring, like, what are we doing? And there's got to be something wrong. The company bought another company a year ago called StreamYard that helps creators around the world to live stream, to hop in if they want to, but to all different social media. So it's been one of those tools that has captured the creator economy, and they do a quarterly event. You know, nobody asked me to do that, but I just attended it because I was curious to see what they were doing. It was just an amazing, amazing event that I really enjoyed. There were so many things happening there. So first off, I feel taking care of inclusion, having subtitles, having uh, live interpreters, sign language, stuff like that, becoming incredibly important. 
especially in company settings. I feel that the future of events is about radical inclusion, inclusions at all costs, where you can be there, can travel. There's a pandemic happening. You know, mm. At this stage, we're ready for everything. But like, this is the solution for inclusion. There's also design, an atmosphere that gets designed in the right way in terms of branding. I've seen like a lot of effort put in those that participated in the event to have like incredible backgrounds for the speakers. Like when you go to an event, you see these incredible stage designs. Like we can't forget about that in a virtual environment as well. I think we can be creative and this is not like going crazy with budgets, mm. but like even telling them, you know, use this type of background. Obviously with creators, it's much easier because creators, they're used to stream online all the time. What I loved about this event, they use a feature within StreamYard that displays in Hopin. So when you use the Q&A module, people send questions to the speakers. You can immediately feature one of those questions in the lower third under a speaker. So that creates almost a competition for the audience to actually participate and be picked for the question that is going to be displayed on screen. It's almost like gamification of the experience. And I found myself posting a million questions just in the hope to be picked, but my team, I guess, didn't like me at that time. They didn't <laughs> pick me. I'm obviously kidding there. But, you know, there was breaks with DJs. We had meditation. We had ways to disconnect. Very practical advice, very hands-on. Popular YouTubers with three cameras showing the setup that they had, the actual gear, I'm using this to do that, like very, very precise, like no wasting time. Not like, oh, the future of live streaming is going to be this. Nobody cares. People wanted to get practical advice, so extremely valuable and practical. We had live drawers doing sketches of the sessions and sharing them on social media. So you have so much going on in that event. You can catch up with the StreamYard events and Hopin events. Every month, there's something happening. So it's always a great inspiration, I feel. That doesn't sound like work. It just sounds like fun to me. <laughs> I mean, I remember an event, the last event probably I went to, which was Drift's Hypergrowth mm. event in London, which I thought was really good. What particularly stood out for me was they had a couple of speakers that just weren't orientated around business at all. So they had Victoria Pendleton, who's an Olympian cyclist. And I think it's Jimmy Shu, actually, who's a big filmmaker in the sort of outside climbing space. And it was just fascinating to just hear about their stories, not related to the product or anything like that, it connects you, doesn't it, to the event? You know, I'm talking to you about this story right now, so it's kind of working, isn't it? Let's say, for instance, at Hopin, then, you are going to hire somebody to run your B2B events then to get more subscribers to use Hopin then. What sort of skills and experience would you look for from somebody like that? I feel that understanding where we're going, the direction that we're going in, and like being sold to a new future that it's completely different from what this industry has been about for 20 years, 30 years plus. Mm. Somewhat completely open to innovation, actually extremely knowledgeable in the changes that are happening. I feel it's important like to embrace these changes. Like you can work in a virtual company, virtual event company, if you don't believe this is actually a great way to connect. You're also equally, I feel, going to be convinced of the power of in-person because we bought three companies that do technology specifically for in-person, not for virtual. So we believe in a different way to connect because what this pandemic has taught us, as much as we were probably more connected than any time in history, yet we felt very, very alone, you know, and this over-connection, it's almost like not making it for us. So mm. we feel that there's a different way to do that. We're working on delivering that vision. Our motto is feel closer. 
So I can say the common trait of all the people that work for Hop and they deeply care about connection mm. and getting people together because they see the results of that every day. Mm. And you've talked a lot about the experience in creativity. When you talk to a lot of B2B tech companies, they do focus on the numbers, the return, the MQLs, the SQLs, these kind of things. If you were to go for one of the two then, would you tend to go towards hiring people that have that creative flair then at the expense of maybe analytical people? You need to have both hmm. at this stage. Like for a company like ours, you need to have that creative side. You need to have a very, very strong data side. At the end of the day, we're still a business and we're working with businesses that talk to other businesses, right? So you got to be very deeply rooted. And that's, I feel, the most exciting part of working for something like Hopin. You know, in events, in-person events, completely intangible, very, very tough to measure mm. what's happening within them, right? Virtual events, the use of technology in events is changing that for good. So all of a sudden, we have all these data points that are changing completely the perspective of how we plan events and experiences like speakers that we thought were amazing. Everybody drops out of the session, right? And you have data to show that or, you know, session formats or, you know, type of activations that sponsors are doing. We're deeply committed to that. And we have both words in our company. I feel that there's a good balance of the two. Good stuff. So final question then, if you had an extra million dollars to spend on a B2B event, then where would you spend it? So I'd make sure first off that I got a super solid platform, but that's not going to cost you a million dollars. <laughs> that's going to cost you way less depending on the size of the event. But still, hopping starts for free. So you know what I mean? Like you have the platform there. I would spend a lot of money in the creative part, in the meeting design part. Hmm. Not as much in the speakers. I feel we need different speakers these days online, especially on virtual events. We feel that the podcasters, the creators are much more a natural fit for virtual events rather than professional in-person speakers that sometimes don't deliver as much. Mm. So, you know, all that budget for big keynote name, not as much as spending on the team, the people that are going to put it together, the production agency, the talking, the brainstorming, the activations, all these things matter more and more in a virtual environment. Great stuff. Well, look, I have been super excited just talking to you about events and we're not even running an event. So I'm sure that our audience have really appreciated the time that you've given us, talking to us about this exciting move towards the hybrid model. And I think it's a great way to think about events these days. So I've got to say on behalf of me and the audience, thanks very much for sharing your time with us, Julius. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.